everybody, every human is creative innately and that we all create something, we just do it. And when you take that away from people, so you put them in situations where that are enormously difficult, people will find a way to create. Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to the discussion and exploration of art and the creative process. I'm your host and the creator, Aaron S, and this week's episode is a conversation with the artist Anna McDonald. Anna is an artist from London, England, who creates abstract art with a heavy emphasis on minimalism with the Japanese influence. Her work is heavily inspired by the philosophy of Shibumi, which encompasses the idea of creating seemingly simple work that requires a complex process. I'm going to start where I start with everybody, which is please just tell us a bit about yourself and how you became an artist. I'm Anna McDonald. I'm 48 and actually I'm almost 49 and I live in London. I teach art in a very large state secondary school uh, three days a week. I've been doing that for 20 years and I'm a mum of two and I'm an abstract minimalist artist. And you said how did I become an artist? Was that yes. your question? Yes. Slowly is the answer to that. I mean, I think my journey is quite similar to a lot of other people. So I was never not drawing or making something as a kid. And then art was clearly a subject that I excelled in all the way through school. But I just didn't have very good advice from family and it was the 80s and it was like you need to get a proper job and so I listened to them and didn't go to art school so my school really wanted encouraged me to go to art school and I was adamant that I wasn't going to do that and I remember them being quite disappointed so I did a degree in art history because I thought that would be really really relevant obviously really useful (laughs) it was it was enormous fun and fascinating but it left me not really knowing what on earth to do with it um and just spent my 20s sort of working in retail and traveling and uh started teaching in my 30s I kind of didn't really know what else to do if I'm honest Mm. and then was I had a period of depression in my early 40s and just realized that I needed to take my creativity a lot more seriously Hmm. so I've never really had before that point I'd never really had what called paintings and cards and I was always making and sewing and I was turning my hands to almost everything creative more on the craft end of things But it was through my teaching practice that I recognised the benefits of sustaining like creative exploration and really going like deep diving into exploring your creativity. So that's what I did. But I did it slowly and I didn't intend to sell my work. And it was I just began to make work. It was it 
happened to be abstract work because that was what I was being drawn to. I'd never made abstract work before. And then through the encouragement of friends, they got me to start selling my work. Before that, it never even crossed my mind. And then and then that's sort of how it really sort of took off. So the vehicle has been that I've been able to sell my work, but that has encouraged me to keep the art practice going. I think without that, I might stop and then get miserable again and then work out I need to carry on making art, if that makes sense. It's really interesting how art is a like form of therapy or it's kind of like a way of processing people's emotions. I think that's really interesting that people turn to art for that or creative outlets. I think that it's something that we all need. I think that's... I don't think everybody needs to be an artist. I don't think everybody can be an artist, but I think that everybody, every human is creative innately and that that's what we all create something. We just do it. And when you take that away from people, so you put them in situations where that are enormously difficult, people will find a way to create. Hmm. That's what they do. You look at you look at the situations in which people find ways of creating something so I think it's a it's a human need in us and I think that when you get to my age and you're in your late 40s you look around you and all your friends are wanting to rediscover their creativity somehow so everyone's sort of thinking about changing their jobs or just having a little bit more creativity in, in their lives and I think that it's 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 really important so for me it's really interesting I I still struggle with this idea about being an artist. I know I'm somebody that just needs to create things. They need to be visual. I need to create things which are beautiful. But I think that if I wasn't, if this wasn't a business, I think I would quite quickly put it off. Hmm. You know, like exercise, you know, it's really good for you. And then you just don't do it. And then you wonder why you just feel so shit all the time. And that's because you're not, you're not eating your vegetables or you're not exercising and for me that's the same with art I mean it it is really integral to my well-being but I would stop doing what I'm doing I think unless I was doing fairs or Hmm. you know I had to produce work for something um it's not to say that it's purely like a financial endeavor for me it just means that I need things like deadlines I need to be held accountable and that will mean I will do it because I know I would just put it off. I would just go, oh, I'll do a bit of painting later. I'll just I'll just load the dishwasher first or I'll do something else. And then I just would be miserable. So I know it's something that I need to do. Are you the kind of person who's very structured then? Yeah, I, I yes, yes and no. So um, I, what do you mean by structured when you say, am I structured? So like, for instance, so for instance, like, do you work to a schedule? Do you kind of create? Like, do you have, like, set days that you'd work or do you have, like, set times that you're going to work at? Well, I kind of have to because I work, I teach three days a week mm. and that's that's all I can do on those days. And I've got kids. Um, I'm not as disciplined in that way as I would like to be, but I am very structured. There is quite a lot of structure in my life. And that's also because I have ADHD and that is what helps me focus and actually get shit done. Mm. So I I am quite 
structured because that also helps me to overcome self-limiting beliefs that I have and doubts that I have about my work or my ability and that structure helps me to actually ignore those thoughts and just make some work because I've got there's a I've quite a structured approach to it yeah because when you like when you I guess put that pressure on yourself like the good kind of pressure on yourself to get things done and you're like oh by the end of like this week I need to make sure I do this this and this and you get it done it's like cool I've I've kind of had myself accountable for getting things done because I think one of the biggest things that a lot of artists lack is self-motivation I think the idea of like having to get up and create your own routine and create your own structure and create your own schedule and stick to it and actually want to create. Because when you're actually creating work, sometimes you might not actually want to be creating it, but you've set the time aside for it. Like you have to set the time aside. You see, that is one reason why at the moment I don't want to be a full-time artist. Hmm. I don't, I don't want that. I, I like the fact that I have a variety of things that I do in my life. I love being a mom. I love being a homemaker and I love teaching. And I love that my art making and the art business is totally different from that. So it's, I have a very quiet space at home to make art, but I love that. It's not lonely because my life is so busy Mm. with children and noise the rest of the time. So I don't feel lonely. And I love the change in routine. So I love it when I do a fair because it's really exciting and I get to, I, I, I'm not a teacher. I can't think about school. I don't think about my kids for a, a whole weekend. I, I'm away. I'm, it's just about me and my art and it's exciting and I'm meeting people and I, and I really love that. So I like the variety that my life gives me and I don't want to be a full-time artist. So I don't have a problem with motivation, although I still do procrastinate and avoid getting in the studio, I think, as much as any artist. Mm. But I think, I know this idea about structure motivation is that I've now got a fair coming up in October, so I know I need to make work. And those kind of deadlines help me because I think I'm very goal-focused and uh, solution focus because I'm a teacher so my the way that I manage and structure myself is that I'll say okay what what decisions do you need to make what do you need to do between now and creating a body of work for this fair okay well I need to work out how many or the sizing or what's the subject matter for this series and at the moment I'm painting a lot of color wheels because I'm making decisions about color and that's really important. I've got to choose the right color palette. So um, that kind of structure really helps to motivate me. It like it it breaks down that like this overwhelming like oh I've got to create a body of work. Yeah. And I think okay right well what 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 do you actually need to do? Well I need to decide on on the colors that are best for this body of work how would I best do that I need to create color wheels to see how they work together so that's where I'm at so I suppose that's how I stay motivated is is to have focus and structure yeah yeah see I I like that a lot because it's something I very much relate to because I like structure I kind of obviously similarly I do a lot of different things and it's like you I always have to set time aside for each thing they're like I don't know I think I find it bizarre to it's always strange to me that people 
can just be very like spontaneous and be like, oh yeah, I might make sense. Say I might not. I'm like, I'd need to know what I'm doing because realistically, like I, my time is not always, I don't always have all the time in the world to do things. But I think one interesting thing that you said, and I think you're probably one of the only artists that I've actually met in a long time, actually, who is happy being a part-time artist. Because normally when I meet part-time artists, they all, all want to be full-time, especially when I go to like the other art fair or something and I meet a lot of artists and they always say to me that they want to be full-time artists. And I think actually, as I, I probably say in every single episode at this point, I think there's nothing wrong with being a part-time artist. I think in fact, being a full-time artist is not for everybody. It's not in everybody's best interest. I think when you're a full-time artist, there are so many things that you have to think about that you're not thinking about as a part-time artist. And I think to be honest, if you're in a situation where you're very happy with your output, and you're happy with your work, and you're happy doing other things as well. It gives you actually, you know, more time to do other things. I think that's amazing, and I think that's actually, you know, I really, really respect that, and I really commend that, to be honest. I it took me a long time to get there, and hmm. I think if you had asked me a couple of years ago, I would have felt like, oh, you know, but everyone's supposed to, you know, every artist, hmm. you know, I'm not a proper artist unless I have that desire hmm. to go full time, and maybe at some time I will. At some point I will, but. At the moment, I don't. And there's lots of different reasons for that. I think it's it's also knowing myself. I know myself really well. So I know that I need I need deep, meaningful connections with people. And I think spending a lot of time on my own, I would probably struggle with that. Also, I love the fact that my job brings in um, a level of income that means that it doesn't matter if I sell my art or not. Mm. So it means that the decisions I make about my art making, I, they feel that, you know, I have integrity about what I choose to make. I don't churn work out. I don't work in a particular color palette because it's going to be popular. Um, so that feels really good. It also means that I don't really have to compromise on the materials that I use. I like, mm. you know, spending a lot on framing and and other materials. And I think most importantly, I think that I'm naturally a little bit entrepreneurial. So I actually do love the business side of it. And mm. I think without the fulfillment that I get from teaching, I think my life might become quite focused on the selling of my work. And I think that for me would be very joyless. I could see myself getting sucked into it's all about the selling of the work. How do I? market it how you know I'd learn I, I love learning so I, I've loved learning about creating and growing a business but I know that that's not the most important thing to me mm. that again meaningful connections are and so when I go into my job the fact that I teach art as well I am putting into practice at home what I teach my students and vice versa so what I teach my students, I embody with my own practice and process. I feel that it being a teacher makes me a better artist and being an artist makes me a better teacher. Yeah. And I wouldn't really want to choose between them at this stage in my life. And I think I think it, it you know these conversations are so helpful because I think it is so important for people to understand there really isn't a right or a wrong way. Hmm. To do things and I know that we hear that a lot I'm not sure how much we really believe that mm. yeah you know, when you talked about you know that there is people that can just be really creative and just and they're and they're not structured like I used to work with someone like that and she's a really dear friend of mine and she's incredibly creative and spontaneous she's like everything I'm not really 
And I learned so much from her. But I did feel for a very long time that she, for me, embodied what it was to be a real artist, whatever that was. And I realised it's not. It's just different. Hmm. So I think these conversations are really helpful because I think it's really important to try and find your own path. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like there's a lot of pressure on people to be like, oh, you need to be a full-time artist. Because you said earlier, it's like, you're not a proper artist. There's no such thing as like a proper artist. Like, if you're creating art, you're an artist. Or the problem is that there's no, there's no textbook definition of what it means to be an artist. And I think that's good and bad, I think, because I think it's good because it means that, you know, everyone can be an artist, but it's also bad because not everybody can actually be an artist. Like, there, is, there has to be some kind of, like, limit or, like, boundary. Or kind of, I guess, is however it is to say, like there's some sort of gatekeeping, I guess, for like the I, idea of being I, an artist. I agree. I think it's it's very much about our definition of of what an artist is, hmm. and I think that is a it's a it's a bit vague, and I think everyone's got a slightly different yeah. interpretation of what that means. I had a really interesting conversation with a friend just a couple of days ago, and we used to work together. She's an artist as well. She teaches, and she's currently tutoring a child uh, so he's a teenager and he has to do textiles he's been forced to do textiles at school so she's supporting him with that but he is a mathematician he's a whiz and he is really really he doesn't understand how the creative process works Hmm. about how you gather ideas and how you embed other ideas into your own and you develop something and make mistakes and something comes out of it he doesn't know how to do that and he's really really struggling and that is the first time I really thought I think he is creating in his own way but art really isn't for everyone that kind of very because art visual art is a language it's you know there's the arts and then there's visual art which is that is a language in itself but that way of thinking is like it uses a different side of the brain and I do feel is it uses the which side is it I get really confused now it's the right side controls the opposite side of your body yes so actually, yes it's the right confused. I think it's the right side of the brain because people always say left-handed people are crazy Something is the right side, right side of the brain. Yeah, I, I think it is the right. I think it is the right side of the brain. Mm. Yes. Because mm. yeah, because I'm, I'm left-handed. People say, "Oh, you must be crazy because you're left-handed," and I'm like, "I guess." Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think it's the right-hand side. I think it's the right side. And I think that my left, I think that the left side of my brain was much more at play for a lot of my adult life, and mm. I still really do like kind of that logical sort of less creative approach to things but um I, I am very creative but sometimes I need to do stuff to kind of get that into gear like mm. you need to like working a muscle you need to get back yeah. into it but so I yeah I do, I do feel that no art, art is not for everybody and not everybody can be an artist actually and that's great See, I think that's such an interesting question to ask people, though, because I feel like everybody has such a different answer. And I remember I asked that mm-hmm. once ages ago on like a poll on Instagram, and a lot of people were like, yes, and some people were like, no. And it was just interesting to hear people's different opinions on like, if everybody can be an artist, and then, you know, where is that like threshold for being an artist? And what makes somebody an artist? I think it's actually a really interesting conversation that I feel like we should have a lot more. Yeah. 
because everybody's definitions are so different, which I think is really interesting. I do think that creativity is steadily like sucked dry in us throughout our education. And I think it's really, you know, being in the education system, I do see this time of year. So I think a couple of days ago, the A-level results came out and some yes. the GCSE results will come out. So I think yesterday the A-level yeah. results came out. And uh, then next we've got GCSE results. And I do think, what what are we doing to our children? What are we doing? Um, it is it is a bit depressing. Um, and I do think that creativity, but creativity, I think, is different from art. Hmm. Creativity is like is the purest sort of. I think is is the pure distilled version of what we what we think we mean by art, and I think that that creativity we learn to not be creative as we go through school, and I think that's really dangerous. And I think the thing that really annoys me about that is that in my position, where what you're doing is you're preparing kids supposedly for the big world, and in my research and learning over the years about like what do employers need and what do you need to survive in the world you need all the things that art teaches you Mm. you need to be able to make mistakes and to pick yourself up again and keep going so you need resilience you need to you know so you need to be able to be a bit disciplined and like practice at things and you need to think outside the box and think well I don't have that but I do have that and why couldn't we do that like that's what you need that's what Mm. the world needs and I also hear that over and over again from world leaders in business and creativity and all these other things that's saying like this is the only way that the world is going to survive because we need to find solutions to problems and so you need creative people Hmm. you need to be nurturing this in you need to nurture this in them and art is one of the only subjects that really nurtures it in people Hmm. so it's just it's all art up if you ask me the education system so in my own little way i'm there in my classroom like trying to change the world yeah absolutely <laughs> i'm think... drawing it at a time <laughs> hey why not and it's, it's a it's a noble pursuit that so do you think that society as a whole values art the short answer is no do you want me to elaborate on that yeah please go ahead <laughs> okay so this is this is when i get on my soapbox a bit So I see this, so in my job, I see this with the response I get from kids and also with parents. They don't see the value of art. For a start, they don't see the value of art and design. So they don't appreciate that everything that you essentially are looking at at this present moment, wherever you are, almost everything has been designed by somebody that probably had a background in art or is certainly creative. Secondly, I think art is just viewed as entertainment. People Mm. don't realise what, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about it. It's like it's a necessity. It's like saying it's brilliant, like we can genetically modify food and, you know, it's great. We'll just live off packet foods forever. It will be so convenient. It'll be brilliant. And you go, yeah, but actually the world would probably be a lot better if we were eating the odd bit of vegetable. So it, it's it's the same kind of thing. It's it's so so if if you look, you know, if you think about a world where people are really unhappy because they're not tapping into their creativity, it's what I said about 
people in uh, you know in their 40s suddenly having a crisis and just feeling like I need to do something a bit different I need to do something more creative I mean to me it's, it's, it's almost mo- it's most of my friends I mean I can think off the top of my head I've got friends that are suddenly playing the piano more and they're singing um at, like publicly as well as their office job I know somebody that's a scientist that's now brewing beer and he wants to make uh-huh. that do that more professionally obviously I know umpteen people that have retired and they're art making um full-time it just seems like it's a natural progression and interestingly I did learn that as we grow from a baby there are developmental stages do you ask anybody about child development and I think that I can't remember, I don't know if it's three months is a significant point, the age of seven, the age of 14, 21. And the age of 41 is a developmental stage where you start thinking about your place in the world. So it's no coincidence that people in their early 40s start questioning what they're doing and think, I need more creativity. So you look at where we are in a society, right? So many of us are anxious and depressed and miserable. You start injecting a little bit. I mean, I know art is slightly different from just being creative, but you get people gardening, you get people making yeah. things together. You People are much happier and more well. So, no, I don't think that everyone needs to be an artist, but I do think that if, you, if, if we valued and supported all of the arts, more you would have a very very different society Hmm. um but in terms of but everyone's interested you know it's all about the bloody economy but ironically you look at the amount of money that's made through the arts and then i just Hmm. think what is wrong with this government where they don't seem to understand the amount of money that's generated through the arts and and then i i i there's an ex-student that um, I get in quite frequently into school to talk to my students about uh, about his journey and, and he's now a he is a he customizes shoes for a lot of uh, famous footballers and sports people and he went to art school and he's ended up customizing shoes and he said that he spoke to the creative director of Adidas that said there is a bit of a crisis in the that less and less people are going to art school and that we don't have enough people coming through that can take on these creative roles and these design roles and this is a problem so no the we don't we don't value the art enough because we're just focused on consuming stuff and money the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is, like, my now. <laughs> I feel like if anyone's going to have an interesting perspective, it would be you as a teacher, as an educator, because it's kind of like you see it firsthand. You know, as you said, like with parents, especially, you see it firsthand. You see kids come into your class and be like, I'm either not interested or I don't care about this, or they might be really interested. And then you can you see their parents, so you understand where they get those attitudes from. So I think actually, if there's anybody I'd love to ask that question to, it would definitely was you, because I feel like you have a good perspective. Well, it's interesting because literally as we began this podcast, I got an email from one of my favourite students who just said, I just wanted to tell you that I've decided to not take 
art at A-level. He was going to do it at A-level. I've taught him for four years in a row. He just did his GCSE and now he's decided that he doesn't want to do it at A-levels. And he said, and I quote, because I'm looking at the email, he said, I think it would be a lot of pressure and stress, which is what I get a lot from students. They feel it's a lot of work and they feel it's a lot of pressure and stress. And I think it's because with maths, he says because I'm doing maths as well which is going to be difficult maths is like you get it's right or wrong isn't it yes yeah and with art it's not like that it's about problem solving and figuring out solutions and analyzing and reflecting and exploring and discovering you're just using different skills and it's interesting how I think that the probably the primary reason why students don't take art at school is well, it's one because they feel that they're no good at it, but also they feel that it's a lot of work, it's time consuming. And I just think, like, but what's wrong with spending a lot of your time doing something that you like doing? Hmm. And you are going to have to put a lot of time and work into anything to be good at it yeah so yeah. you may as well do the thing that you like but they are just programmed to think i need to get the easiest a i can i think yeah. we're programming kids to think you've got to get the a level results because you then got to go on to the next stage of your life which is university usually and so you may as well you've got to really choose a subject which you can guarantee good grades and they just feel that art you can't shortcut art you can't mm. just cram it in the last year or the last couple of months and i think a lot of people just don't want to do that and i think fine but those are the kids that come back to me and say i really regret it i really really regret not taking it and i say i told you so <laughs> told you so don't worry you'll, you'll be 40 you'll have a breakdown again and then you'll become an artist like everyone else <laughs> there you go. i think the, the problem is that we're very focused on money we're very focused on like oh you need a big house you need a fancy car you need to have you know the the family and kids you need to have you know all this and all that and i feel like that's an issue because i feel like as an artist most of the time most of the time People don't take up art to be rich. They take up art because they enjoy something. They enjoy it. And like the money they make, it may not be great, but they're aware of that. Or, you know, there's a compromise there that's been made. When you choose such an uncertain career, you're aware of the risks that, you know, it's not going to make you, you're not going to have necessarily the most stable income. You're not going to have a yacht, you know. And I feel like because programmed is an interesting word, but I think because we're kind of programmed, I guess, I guess programmed is a good word to think about money first. And be like, oh, you know, what's going to be the best, you know, money maker for you? What career are you going to go into that's going to make you the most money? I feel like because of that, people disregard art because they're like, oh, no, art's not going to make me money. Yeah, you know, we have artists like Damien Hurst out here making millions of pounds, you know, being mm -hmm. very, very successful for himself. Questionably successful for himself. Um, mm -hmm. We forget that, that actually you can make money off art. So You can. I mean, there's a whole spectrum, isn't there? I mean, yeah. I know people that are making barely enough to live on and yes. they you know they, they they took the choice to to go full-time and I think it's been very very stressful for them and then you can go all the way up to the other end of the spectrum yeah I think that you know I think again it goes back to finding your own path that I just think it's worth trying things on for size so like 
for me, I think it's about so it's, I think it's about learn knowing yourself and what what you need and what is important to you and your hmm. priorities, and also being willing to try things out and it not working and trying a different tack. So for instance, you might set out to be a full-time artist, realize that that's not quite what you expected. So I'm thinking of one person in particular who is toying, I think, with the idea about taking on some kind of part-time work yeah. because the, the the stress is more than she was expecting with, with making money. Yes. And I think for some people that works. It's like you can find some employment which is not stressful and doesn't take up all of your time and energy, but that gives you the kind of security and freedom to make your art. And for me, I know that I need a certain level of security. Yeah. I would not want to not know what what wage yeah. I was. I love I love having a regular paycheck, and I and that's just a need in me that needs meeting but because it's met I can then go on and be a little bit more ambitious or creative with my work so I make I can make very large work like I'm looking behind me now on my studio wall and I've got you know a a large painting um, it's it's on in fact it's really a drawing but it's it's on paper and the paper was so big that it it I mean that sheet of paper cost me 30 quid and um which, and the way that I work, which I'm sure that we'll get to, is Absolutely. that because I work in a very minimalist way, if I make something that doesn't work, if I do something that doesn't work on a piece of paper, that's it. It's going in the bin. So doing it on a sheet of paper that costs 30 quid, quite expensive. And of course, yeah. I've had it float mounted and framed, which was really, really expensive. But because I have a regular income through my teaching, I can make large work. I wouldn't yeah. be making large work. I wouldn't be making those kind of financial risks. And yeah. that is exciting for me because I get to see, wow, when I make big work, it has a different impact. So I'm yeah. taking more risks with my work. So ironically, when I'm creating more security for myself, I can take risks in other ways. So I feel like I've got away from the question. Yeah, you were talking about um, about what was the initial question it wasn't an initial question we were just talking about society valuing art we were talking about the drive that money being yes. a driver and yes. i think that was yeah this is the point i intended to make is that yes i think i i think that we are we are being programmed and conditioned regularly particularly by social media and every every, every media and everything really is the message that you need more you need more you need more hmm. so you need money for that and i think that that then means that we are focused on making money and we don't see success that's how that's how we view success is about being able to afford these things so there's obviously a certain amount of uh, we have basic needs that need to be met don't we we need money to be able to afford the, the, the basic necessities and after that um there are some things which which we just want aren't aren't necessary, but we we need those basic things to, you know, just just to live and and to be happy and to be well. But there's you know there is research that shows that I think after about I think it's about a seventy five thousand pounds, which is quite a lot of money. After that, you make more money than that, your quality of life does not improve. So there's there's, there's actually like. Oh, wow. There are studies to show that after a certain limit, and I think the limit was seventy-five. It might be seventy-five thousand dollars. 
uh, yeah, your, your quality of life doesn't improve. And I think something which I've heard recently, which is quite refreshing, is that there are a couple of people I'm thinking of in, in business, the big business gurus that are clearly millionaires and they have massive worldwide followings. They're now changing how they frame success. And okay, it's very, you know, it's it's all very well being a millionaire and saying money won't make you happy. But they are saying you need to define what success means. So for me, I am not making a huge amount of money for my art, hmm. but I have a life where I get a regular income, so I'm financially stable. I have a job which brings me enormous purpose. I have huge purpose when I go to work mm. every day and fulfillment, and it stretches me and it's challenging. So I have that. And my art practice is it gives me solitude and the quietness that I need in my life. It definitely feeds my soul it nourishes my spirit my art making but it also brings me a lot of excitement it generates friends and it does generate more money like mm. so I'm thinking well what else do I need I have a very very fulfilling life yeah. so yeah. that for me is success so I think it's important to say that because we do feel like unless you are Damien Hurst you've not really made it in the art mm. world and that to me personally isn't a measure of success yeah yeah absolutely i think that's a really 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 good point to make because i feel like if you're happy if you're content and you're happy with what you have i think there's nothing wrong with that i feel like there would always be as you said earlier like there's always going to be like a limit like the thing the thing about money and this is not a podcast about money but the thing about money is that you only need so much you can only spend so much you know at the end of the day there's only so many things you need there's only things, so many things you want. And it's just a case of like, as long as your bills are being met, as long as your basic needs are being met and you've got some extra money for the things you want to do, you don't really need much else, you know, in my opinion. Except, except when you've got enough, and I had this discussion this morning, except when you've got enough money to afford a really good bedding <laughs> and linen, <laughs> and then you, can't, then you can't go back. You can't go back to the cheap poly cottons, crappy foam pillows yeah other than that <laughs> yeah but this is the interesting thing though like like that's actually a really funny thing you should say because it's like unless you have that kind of money to afford it you won't know that so it's like yeah. you know it's kind of interesting like there's always something always and you can have nice pillows but be so stressed that you can't sleep so there you go yes oh that is so true that's so true just because you <laughs> have nice pillows doesn't mean you sleep very well that's true. The pillows are not going to help you sleep. Exactly. That's so funny. <laughs> no. I'd be up all night thinking about how much money I spent on. But on about, <laughs> about how much? <laughs> right. Okay. Actually, let's get into your work then. That'll probably be a good idea. Can you please describe your work for those who may not have seen it? My work is abstract. It's minimalist. Uh, I do. They are called paintings, but if I'm honest, they are very large drawings. And that is because they essentially deal with marks and lines. So my, my work, essentially like really large drawings, I call them paintings, but they are like, they're just really large drawings, but they have a Japanese feel to them, a mid-century abstract feel to them. And that's just because I'm just letting in a lot of influences that um, I've come across over the 
years. My, my work is inspired by nature, so it will be a landscape that I visited, it will be a plant in the garden, it will be a fossil or a stone that I own, it will be shadows on the wall. I've done a couple of series a few years ago that were a little bit more conceptual, so they were based a little bit more on a memory, but more now I do reference really tangible things, so nature. Is, is a key for me. Why nature, though? Because we are nature. It is everything. It's just, it's so beautiful in the most profound way. And I think that, it, I mean, it took me a long time. It took me years to work out why I was making the work I was making and why it was important. Because I feel that everyone's artwork is a culmination of all their experiences. And my grandmother was probably the most important person in my life. And she would nurture my art making, always taking me to galleries and buying me books and encouraging me to paint and draw. But more than that, she would always draw my attention to beauty. So she would pick me up from school and we'd be walking home and she'd say, Anna, stop. Look at look at that cherry blossom. And I wouldn't notice because I was chatting about something. And she would do that all the time. And it was always about colour. And it was about noticing the colours in the things around me. And that's what my work is about. And I've never said this publicly to anybody, actually. It's the first time I've said it on a podcast. But when she died, so I was there when she died. And the last thing that she actually said before she fell into a coma that she didn't recover from, she she wasn't looking at me. So she was sort of looking past me. So you could tell that she was going somewhere else. And she said, I can see beautiful colours. I can see beautiful colours. And that's the last thing that she ever said. And I think my work is about noticing those beautiful colours and those beautiful marks and textures in the things around us that you might miss. That's what my work is about. So is it important for your work to be beautiful? And I, I do think that because it's minimal, that people, it's like easy to understand. It is important to me that my work is beautiful because that's what I'm wanting to make. Um, I don't, I think my work is much more easy to understand than people think it is. But I don't think you need to understand my work. You appreciate any artwork more if you understand it. But how important is it for you to give people the context of your work? Or do you prefer them just to see it as an image and then make up their own mind? I do I do think it's important and if I'm honest that's partly to do with being able to sell my work so what I mean by that is that I want to sell my work because that enables me to keep making my work and in order to do that I want to tell people the story behind my work and I know that the more people understand what I do the more they appreciate what I do and they're more likely to buy it 
So I do share a lot of my practice and I shared the inspiration behind my work and the journey of each collection so that they understand how I got there. And yeah, so they just they they just understand a little bit more about what the work's about. Because I feel like how can I word this without offending people? I feel like abstract work can be seen as very like Oh, you just put marks down on the paper and you try and sell it. Even though it's not that all as much I've learned. But I feel like I guess what I'm asking is like, why create abstract work? Well, I I I have that thought as well. I think that too. And I think that what I struggle with, I mean, I'm going to be very outspoken here, is that this is where Instagram can be tricky. Hmm. Is that how do I put this? I think that there are people that are making work and they they call it very intuitive. And I have a difficulty when people use that word because I do sometimes feel that that word is used when what they really mean is I have learned how to make marks and things on a page and it sells. And I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I think the the only bit that I have a problem with is that when people are making work that I feel essentially they're making nice things and they're very good at selling them. And there isn't a lot, there's there's no exploration of there's they're not really trying to discover much in their work. They've hit upon a bit of a formula, but there's no real different to that for me than people that have like they paint pictures of birds or something and it just works for them and they know it works and they churn it out and it's I mean I've met people and it's it's a bit soulless for them I think the the, the difficulty that I have is when I feel that my work is being viewed Mm. in that same way and that is when I have to do some serious internet culling so like uh, social media culling and that's when I will look at the people that I'm following that I feel fit into that category that are making Mm. abstract work that might look quite nice but it's quite formulaic and um, it's a a bit shallow and it doesn't have to be abstract it could Mm. be anything really but I know exactly what you mean and so yeah I have to um remove that so that I don't see that and then I don't get sucked into that whole comparison thing where I worry about well people think I'm doing the same thing and what I've noticed is that when I remove that from my vision and I'm not seeing those people I can just get back to making the work that I want to make what's like I don't know if you if you even know yourself really but like what's like kind of like the parameters of like for you in your personal opinion like quote-unquote shallow artwork or shallow like abstract work in terms of like how do you know when you look at a piece of work that, oh, this person's possibly doing it because they're just making money as opposed to like they're exploring something? Because I can't really tell you what their work, what what their work is doing. Like, I think, I think, you know, as a teacher, I'm always asking students, but you have, you know, they, they have to talk about why, why they are doing something. And it could, it, it could be anything. It could be that I'm, it, it doesn't even have to be lofty or highbrow. You know, I wonder what would happen if I did this, that, and 
this this comes mm. out at the end of it but like I mix these two colors together I mean I suppose in a way that is what that that is what are you know these artists are still doing on some level yes. they are exploring to some extent but yes. I do feel like the driving force is that I know this works I'm gonna make some money out of it these 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 colors work quite you know that's craft that's selling a product it's not really the same thing so I'm not saying that there can't be an element in their work where they are exploring something but they are more interested in the creation of something that they can sell and that is fine but as an artist I'm interested in looking at people's work that are exploring something see I think that's very interesting I feel like abstract art is very well someone said to me recently that the pandemic created a lot of abstract artists and I think it's kind of a funny thing to say because it's, it's kind of true in a way but I think abstract art seems to be quite accessible to like the kind of general public do you think that is underappreciated as an art kind of genre it's really really hard because I'm in a bit of a vacuum so you know everybody that I surround myself with doesn't that does appreciate abstract art really yeah I think I think yeah it, it is it is underappreciated to totally I think that you know it, it goes it's that phrase isn't it when people say well my five-year-old or I could have done that and I'm like yeah but you didn't and actually my five-year-old could have done that and actually they couldn't but actually for me if someone thought a five-year-old did my work I would see that as a compliment because I think that I mean it's what Picasso said about as a as a child you you you're striving to make work like an adult and then as an adult you're striving to be a child again and that is definitely what I'm trying to harness in my work is getting back to some that playful energy an abandon that you can have with your work. And I think it's great if people want to just like play. They want to play with materials and colour and they want to see what it does. I think I think that's great. But is it enough to say I'm an artist and I'm selling it? Well, I mean if somebody wants to buy it, that's absolutely fine. But I do feel like for me I think it's important to have integrity about what you do. So if you're going to do it, just be honest about it. Yeah, I completely agree. Because if somebody asks you about your work, because people are always curious, people want to know. If somebody asks you about your work and you're not sure what to say to them, it's like, well, you haven't really, maybe you haven't really thought about it enough or you haven't really figured out what it is you're actually doing or like the purpose of what you're doing. So I feel like that every, like, no matter what you're creating, whether it's, you know, a piece of art or if it's, you know, a book or if it's a film or if any kind of art like there's a purpose to it it may not be apparent to you whilst you're creating it but there's a purpose there's a reason you're creating this particular piece of work yeah I think that I think this consumerism that we talked about earlier mm. I think that it affects everything so I think I really began to think about this when I was doing my degree which was 30 years ago and we learned I think there was a group of artists called the St Ives Artists and uh, that would be Barbara Hepworth, um, Henry Moore, Ben and Wilfred Nicholson. Is it Winifred Nicholson? Yeah, sorry, Winifred Nicholson. I'm thinking of, oh, I've forgotten the artist now. Alfred Wallace, thank you. 
it's Alfred Wallace was the artist and he painted very naive paintings of boats and we say naive because he used to paint them on cardboard he wasn't traditionally art trained and they really loved the this naive childlike quality where the shapes weren't accurate and and they loved that and they adopted some of that into their work and I remember at the time thinking but he's not an artist because where's the skill in what he's doing like and I got thinking about thinking well what does it mean if they're an artist and I think the difference now is that I think he was being really authentic he was making work he was painting these boats in the way that he wanted and I think that other people championed him like he's got work in the Tate but I think other people championed him that wasn't his motivation I think it's where people lack skill and lack training and they are making this intuitive in heavy inverted commas work they're just very good at marketing it and selling it and I don't have a problem with that. It's just for me, it just it just lacks authenticity because what they are is they're quite good business people. So I think, you know, art, art is a, people make art for lots of different reasons. People have yeah. different purposes for making it. People want different things. Like everybody wants to make money out of their art. But I just, yeah. I feel like authenticity is, is what is important for me. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would completely agree with that. I'd completely agree with that. So you said earlier your work is inspired by Japanese influences. Like, mm-hmm. is there any particular influence? And also, where did the inspiration come from? I think it's a collection of things. It's not like, like I've never been to Tokyo or, you know, never been to Japan. I've never had this one experience. I think that I was always interested in calligraphy and brush painting. As a child, I used to, was taken to Chinatown a lot. And I used to spend my pocket money buying the paintbrushes. And I've always loved sort of calligraphy and brushwork. I think Japanese uh, aesthetics are more simplified and refined than Chinese. They're more subtle. And the more that I... I just developed a fascination with Japan. The more that I read, watched and learned about Japanese culture the more it felt in line with my values and how I wanted to live my life and I'm there's just lot there's lots of little elements I'm fascinated by the color black actually I mean I'm fascinated by all color but but black would I used to find quite frightening and then I started to introduce it to my work and I it feels like an integral part of my work that mm. I don't want to lose. And that feels like it's come from the black ink calligraphy of Japanese um, calligraphy. But I would watch, I, I learned about what um, ma means. And it means space, gap or pause. And the Japanese feature ma in their calligraphy in their gardening, in their art, even in their filmmaking, where there'll be quite lengthy pauses. And it's to get you to appreciate what's either side of the gap. 
And that really made sense to me. It's also a principle in design as well. And I'm really interested in that in my work. Um, there is a philosophy called Shibumi, which I'm also really interested in, but I didn't know about this philosophy when I began to make the work that I do. I read about it and realised that's what I'm doing in my work. It's like what we went back to saying about art being a visual language hmm. is that I'm a very visual person and I understand things visually in a way that I find much more difficult to articulate with words. So when I read about this philosophy, Shibumi, I suddenly thought, this is what I've been doing. So Shibumi means it's, it, shibumi or shibui so there's two um it can be said both ways it means a complex process which is not evident in the outcome so it means that my work should look like i made it in 10 minutes but i didn't hmm. it took a long time to make it and it's a it's like an umbrella term that covers seven other terms so they are and i'm going to try and remember them correctly asymmetry simplicity tranquility a reverence of natural things a break from the norm so that would be something slightly unexpected that kind of wakes you up i've got two more to go what are they um austerity so not using much of something, and I can't remember the seventh one. But if you look at my website, it's all there. <laughs> so when I read that, I thought, that's it. That's what I'm doing. So all the work, all the things, the elements that I was drawn to in other people's work that were influencing what I do, somehow would would be encompassed in that philosophy so I would look at an artist's work and think I love the way that they've used that bright color just on the edge where you could almost miss it and that would change how I might do that and that is the part of shibumi which is the the, the break from routine you think you're looking at a very a painting which is using very subdued colors and all of a sudden there's a little tiny mark of color that you weren't expecting or something at the edge of the canvas so um yeah i just find that the japanese just their approach to almost everything and all their philosophies just seem to fit with what i'm interested in not just in my art but in my life as well i wonder if the philosophy gives you like a guideline of how obviously because obviously before you created you weren't aware of it when you started creating work, but now that you're aware of it, like how does that change how you make work? So when you create a body of work now, do you, it's like, I like the stuff like austerity and break from routine. Is that like almost like a checklist for you now? Yes, it is. I mean, it is, it happens quite naturally. So it's not always conscious, hmm. but yes, that is, that is what's happening. So that there is a point where, so I plan my work quite carefully when I say I plan it there's a lot of research that goes into there's a lot of decision making that goes into my work before I end up with a painting but when I make the work 
I'm not following a plan that I've drawn everything out and it needs mm. to look like that. Um, there needs to be an element of something just magical just happening. But yeah, there is there, there there are those parameters that I work within. And again, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about giving my when I give myself structure and parameters yeah. and limits, that frees me up and that helps me that that just actually helps my creativity. So if I know do that, I don't my my, my colour palettes are not very broad. So mm. I don't allow myself to use a huge range of colours in one collection. Uh, it feels too much. So that's why each collection has a different colour palette. Um, but, yeah, I definitely do set myself uh, like a, oh, a, little, a little bit like a formula. No, it's not not a formula, but, yeah, set a set of parameters that I work within. Yeah, I think it's the parameters, which I think is actually a really healthy way of working. I think it's actually a really good way of working because it means that you you go into the creative mode knowing that you're going to get something out of it. You're not going to waste your time. You know, you're, you're aware of like, hey, cool, this ticks this box, this ticks this box. But I do also wonder, like, have you ever considered that it might be a restrictive way of working in case you wanted to use a completely different color palette or wanted to do something completely crazy or different? Not really. I think, again... Because of my teaching practice, yeah. I and I apply it to myself. What I do is I make a body of work and I set out my intentions for that body of work. There'll be I'm so at the moment I'm making a body of work about sunsets, and I've never done that before, not sunsets. Wow. And so with each body of work, there's a subject matter, and then I think to myself, what is it that I want to convey? And I want to capture the essence of something. So if it's a mm. place, I, w I want to be able to look at it and almost feel how I did when I was there. I want to kind of convey a, a sense of light or warmth or the wind or whatever it was. Then I'm asking myself, is there anything, how am I going to develop, improve or change what I'm doing even slightly to what I did in the last series? So I will always review the last series and think, you know, that was working. So I'm going to carry on doing that. But it might be the scale in which I'm working. Um, the color palette will be different. It might be the, some of the art materials that I'm using. I might introduce a different art material, but I'd also might, there'll, there'll be subtle changes. It might be I've seen something in someone else's work or I want to try something a bit new in my mark making or a technique. There'll always be something in my work that I'm trying to shake up a bit. It won't be obvious to everybody. In fact, it might not be obvious at all. But to me, it is. So that's why I know that I'm. it, it doesn't feel formulaic because each collection, I'm, I am trying something a little bit different. So if I get a bit bored and it feels easy, then I know that I've, I've plateaued and that yeah. I need to shake things up a little bit but again that kind of routine or structure of I make a body of work it's about this subject matter when I've made it I move on and I make something else now I do sometimes return to that subject matter again and explore it but someone asked me to make a couple they sort of commissioned me to make a couple of extra pieces um, for a body of work I just made I'd finished a body's work and they said, can you make a couple oh. more? And I tried and I couldn't, I couldn't, oh. like I just couldn't just bash out a couple of paintings. It just wouldn't work. 
So um, I, I like that structure of I make a body of work, but when it's finished, I tie it up and then I move on to something else. So there is an artist I interviewed, oh my goodness, it must have been a good few years ago now, um, called J.R. Chuo, who is a, an incredible artist. His work know. Is, yeah, do you know his work? I was going to say, yeah. like, I'm, I was going to say, if you don't know him, I want to send him your way because I feel like you'd have a really interesting conversation. Yeah, because like... he's in Japan right now. Yes, of, of course, yeah, of course he is. Yeah. But also, oh, yeah, no, of course, actually, now I'm thinking about it, your work is very similar in the sense of like Japanese influences and the idea of like working collections and the idea of like always trying something new in the next work. You review it because he's what I love about his work so much and just he's just such a lovely guy. Yeah, he really is. He's got nothing but good, he's got nothing but good things to say about him. I got to his work in person. I actually met him at the other art fair in London, which is before I interviewed him. And that's where I, I met him and I interviewed him from there, which is perfect. And at the time when I saw his work, I didn't really understand it. And I was a bit like, okay, cool. And I was like, let's talk about it. And now because I spoke to him about it, I'm like, his work is amazing. Also just his work ethic. And just like the amount of time and effort that goes into his work. Well, he's similar been to you, alongside like, studying a degree. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and it's similar to you. Like it's so much time and effort that goes into the work, but the actual result seems quite simple, but it's really not. He's a very Um, good one to actually, yeah. So I've actually showed with him. I wonder whether I was actually the same show when you came to visit him. So we were both times have been very near near each other. But he's absolutely he's fantastic, and it's interesting because on the surface you could think his work looks formulaic Hmm. because he's exploring the same thing, but it doesn't take you long. The the minute that you under the minute you take just a moment to ask him or to see what his work is about it you realize that all he's doing is interested in something it's, it's very much about coral isn't it it's about yes uh, the coral, coral reefs, reefs. Yeah. he is just simply exploring something that is interested in mm. in, a, in different ways and he keeps doing it it's not because he's churning out something that sells yeah he is genuinely he's just found something that he needs to keep repeating and doing again and you know what that's a very japanese thing as well Hmm. that they will hone a craft they do the one Hmm. thing for generations so i think the difference is the integrity and the authenticity that's what i mean there is he has real authenticity and integrity and i think you get that quite quickly yeah you can tell very easily yeah yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, because if you hadn't, haven't heard about him before, I'd send you his work over to you. I feel like you'd have a really good conversation. But the fact that you shared alongside each other and you know who he is, even better. Yeah. He's just a lovely person. And his best friend, really? for ages, but he's lovely. Absolutely lovely. I have so really? much respect for him. And also, just like the way his work's developed so much. Like, even, like, it might seem similar, but it's so different. And it just, he does interesting things, using different materials, exploring different, like, I just love it. I think it's great. He has and a also, humbleness about him, which yes. is very rare in people. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely. That's, he, he has such a, that's such a beautiful quality about him. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, because the reason I said that is because I wanted to ask you, like, why work in collections? Because I think the word collection to me is always such an interesting way to refer to art. Because I think it developed over time and as I began to make work and I suppose I developed what we call a practice or like routines mm-hmm. is that I realized it's a way of setting myself parameters and I think that has a lot to do with my ADHD which I, I was only diagnosed about six months ago although I suspected oh, wow. I had ADHD for a few years but 
giving myself these this clear structure and parameters within it, it just gives me a safety and it allows me to be more creative so I'll give you an example if I were to go into the studio now and just go well you can make whatever you want I'd go um I don't I don't know I don't know what to make but if you gave me limited materials and say you've got to make a piece of artwork with these and you can only look at your clothes dryer as inspiration I would be able to make you something and because my mind is whirring at a hundred billion miles an hour all the time and I also have a very harsh inner critic Hmm. and in the past that has meant that I would constantly feel that what I was making wasn't good enough and I would stop making work. Mm. So when I set myself these parameters, it makes me feel safe and within it, I can then create. So like at the moment, I'm making a collection about a very specific sunset on a very specific beach and that's what I'm doing and that in, allows me to explore things in quite a lot of depth and play around and experiment when I'm done with that I know I will move on to the next collection which is so exciting because I've always got about four or five collections either on the go or certainly on the go in my mind oh. so I don't I never worry about running out of inspiration ever oh. ever um because I think you I know I can just find anything around me and there's beauty in that see that's really interesting to me because i feel like sometimes a lot of artists are like they worry and it's something that i've definitely done, done in the past as well like you worry that you're going to run out of ideas yeah see I, I don't i don't worry about that and i think it's because i i don't know whether i did this as an experiment but i thought why don't i just find the most uninteresting everyday banal thing not a beautiful sunset and I was, I took a photo, I was sitting at some traffic lights and the vehicle in front of me was a pickup. Is it called a pickup truck? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it had some rubbish in the back and I took a photograph of it and I made three paintings that have sold from that. Wow. The same approach. I used the same approach. I just looked, I did the, I used the same process of studying it and drawing it and then making and then gradually abstracting it and looking for interesting qualities and then I made some work that was my collection called an ordinary day so I like that though yeah it's I I feel like that's the transformative nature of art though like you can turn the world something that's very tangible in real life and something that sits on a canvas or a piece of paper that people can relate relate to and resonate with yeah and and I think that if you know i think the the purpose of art is is, i mean it has art is a vehicle for so many different things it's you know it's telling someone about your life or it's storytelling or it's about uh social like historical context like a narrative or it's about you know getting you to think about a political issue or it just it's about evoking something so i think if it makes you feel anything then it's done its job so the current series you're working on, I'm assuming that's the offshore collection. No. 
No, it's not. The current, I well, I kind of keep in my current series under wraps. Probably. Oh, no, okay, that's fine. No, that's but fine. Did, did you no. want to talk about the offshore one or? I, absolutely, that's what we're going to get onto. I wasn't sure if that was the same one because I've. I've well, interestingly, the current series, you're not totally wrong because my current series that I'm working on, but I haven't been sharing about it, is actually the sunset on the same beach. So Offshore okay, was a series it. about that beach. Yeah. This is now oh, about the sunset on the beach. So you're not wrong. Oh. It's just it's a different okay. collection. Yeah, that's like a very like, what I say, what I love about you and your work, which is interesting, that like, even if you take the idea of like, a place you then hone on on different parts of that place yeah. and different kind of meanings and kind of interpretations and what resonates with you about it because that's an interesting idea to like i've already made a collection about the beach and then be like well actually sunsets on the beach let's make a collection about that yeah. then you can make a collection of like the sounds or the water or the exactly. way the light hits refle like reflects like i love the fact that it's, your work is so nuanced that you actually take you abstract the world itself into the work which is also abstract which is really really nice actually Thanks. Yeah, that's really that's interesting. Exa that's exactly what I'm doing. So the offshore collection I created a couple of years ago, um, and we went to Ile de Ray in France, yes. and that beach is beautiful. And I take photographs and do drawings when I'm there, and then I made a body of work from that. But this is the same beach, but we visited it last year. So I've actually been working on it steadily. No, not steadily, sporadically, I should say. But I have been working on it for a year, and I'm now, oh. yeah, I'm now trying to get some some pieces from that because I I'd like to present that in October, which would be good. Um, just before I ask you about the offshore collection, where what fair are you doing in October? The other art fair, Trivandrum. What's the date of that? Twelfth to the fifteenth of October. That's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, isn't it? Yeah. I need to have a word with my manager to have a few days off because I want to go to that. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I went this year. I went earlier this year. Yeah, I went earlier this year in March. Um, and I was like, I'll go in October. If I make it down, I'll come over. I, I'd love to see this in person. I guess to meet you yeah. in person, which is perfect. I'm excited um, because I think always my latest collection I get quite excited about because it will be the first time I've shown it. And yeah. it's nice to see people's responses. But ultimately, I am trying to get better at what I do. Yeah. And it's it's a bit like running a race. It's a bit like training for a marathon or training for a race, and you just hope that you improve your personal best or whatever. It's and it's lovely just seeing your work hanging there together. I love I love doing a fair, but I won't. It, I haven't really done one properly for about eighteen months. So mm. yeah, it'll be fun to do that. I'd love to come down because I love going to the art fair. It's like it's it's like just such a nice thing to do to go and meet artists in real life. It's just so nice. And those experiences are lovely because the artists like to talk about their work, don't yes. they? I literally just go around. I literally spend seven hours there literally walking up to people saying, tell me oh. about your work. I See, that's so interesting. Like, I get, so like, I because I'm such a highly sensitive person, I get so overwhelmed by stimuli, particularly visual stimuli, mm. that I just get saturated very quickly and I have to leave. Um, really? Yeah, and I think that's when you were talking about, like, there is little subtle nuances in my work and the fact that my work yeah. is so simple because I feel things really deeply. Like I, I've got a very, very strong gut instinct. I'm very sensitive to sound, touch, 
you know, visually I'm taking everything in all the time. Mm. So I think I want to make work which is unobtrusive and you can sit with for a bit and it feels it feels not com- not not just comforting to your soul but it it is a bit transcendent because i think hmm. beautiful things do something to your soul and i want to make something which even just for a, a breath makes you a little bit still i think just to like allow yeah just it's not that you have to find my work beautiful. Um, it just might slow you down for a breath, I think. But yeah, it might make you pause. Exactly. Do you ever worry, we'll get into the series in a second, but do you ever worry that people might think it's too simple? Um, yes and no. It depends on the day. I mean, I've actually heard people say, and people that are people like quite, um, well-respected people in the industry <laughs> say oh. it's too simple but that's also about uh, some of my earlier work but hmm. no I mean it is something that does cross my mind quite a lot but then I do recover from that to be fair that is something that crosses my mind with every body of work that I make but I think that everybody that makes work has some kind of crisis about what they're doing at some point mm. I do recover from that and know that I am very interested in simple work I'm drawn to work I find it very powerful and very moving and I just have to try and keep making this work that I make mm. making the work that I do because it feels authentic to who I am it does help when I do a fair and people say essentially we like what you're doing and they when I say they get it they have an emotional response to it yeah and that that helps me that gives me the confidence to just keep doing what I'm doing but most of the time no it doesn't it doesn't worry me if people think it's too simple because I think if they were to try and do it they would realize it's really quite difficult even I forget how difficult it is so when I mentioned that somebody asked me to make a couple of pieces that were the very similar to some I'd already made I just couldn't do it I could not do it um so yeah I think also because you're creating it with integrity, you're creating it with a reason for it to be created. That's the thing, as we said earlier, that, that's the thing. It's because you're creating it knowing what you're going to do, not creating it for the sake of creating it. So I think and also I never think that I'm just there. So like I will sometimes mm. look at my work and think it's not simple enough. And sometimes I look at it and think it's too simple. Mm. But like, what does that mean? Does it mean who I'm comparing it to? Am I comparing it to yes. someone's work who is more or less simple than mine? It's all about your own intention. What is your own intention? And then nothing else matters. So for mm. me, I do still question whether or not it's simple enough or if it's too simple. But that 
it's still based on what am I what are my intentions and I know that I'm never going to totally get there and that's what makes it exciting is that that this is why it's a journey it's a creative journey I'm not like there going Woohoo, I've made it I'm just bashing out these paintings and making a killing yes. I am learning things as I'm doing this and I'm not sure I'm ever going to feel like I've made it I've made the perfect painting none of yeah. them ever are perfect I've got some that I like slightly more than others but none of them are like that's the one and I need to try and somehow harness or replicate that yeah because that's the problem is that if you create the perfect painting you almost have no reason to create anything else because you've already kind of created it exactly so the offshore series or the offshore collection um, so where did the impetus from this body of work come from just because I was visiting this stunning beach in France, just the place that we stayed. And uh, it's just the, the, the light, particularly, it it just it was very white sand and a lot of limestone around there and just this sort of real aqua colour of the sea. And it was just very bright and it's just, it was magical and it's beautiful. So I wanted to capture that. So... What would be like the process in terms of your work in terms of like, so you're, you're in France, you're on the beach, you're looking around you, you're like, this is beautiful. I need to capture this in some way. How do you choose how to go about capturing it for a piece of work? So my method is quite traditional in that I, I say traditional in that I, this is the way that we teach in school. So I will begin by obs- carefully observing the subject matter. So that will be if I can, I will draw the thing with it in front of me from direct observation. I will might uh, sketch it with watercolours, draw it, lots of photographs, and I will be recording visually things I notice. It, it will be the colours, it will be the, the marks that I see in like the or the shapes of the stones on the beach. It will be the the shapes of the waves. In the water, I will be recording the colour and I will gather as much of that information as I can. And then when I feel like I really know the subject matter quite well, because I will just be looking at that and nothing else for weeks, I will then start to play around, I suppose, a series of exercises. I will make collages based on these photographs or drawings so they will naturally become more simplified i will use paper that i've collected sometimes cuttings from old work unsuccessful work and i play around and what that does is it helps to like modulate the image so there'll be like blocks of color or certain shapes and i might add lines but each of the elements describe something so they might describe, it might loosely describe the shape of a cloud or where the horizon line is. But all the time I'm simplifying it and distilling it. And then I might sketch and I might play around with these shapes and sort of think, well, what would happen if I put the horizon line higher or lower? Or I would start to look at some of my other drawings or photographs and then add some marks to it. Sometimes I do things like I will draw without looking at what I'm drawing but I'm looking at the reference Hmm. so like we talked about authenticity before I try to make marks on my work which are 
very considered and contrived. So you'll see that in the black line that I include, but also I like to have very authentic marks. So I have to do, sometimes I will use my wrong hand to draw and I will look at a photograph and not look at what I'm drawing and look at the marks or the lines I'm trying to capture. And then it's a question of like, moving it around and playing around with the composition and that's when it does feel like I'm turning to my intuition a bit more where I'm looking at when did it I want a sense of of like a tension between it feeling really balanced and considered but also a little bit immediate like it just happened and that's really difficult to do so that I then just when I feel like okay I'm ready it does feel like I'm about to jump off the tall diving board when mm. I'm about to actually go for like making the big pieces like on the expensive paper or on the canvases I do feel like right I'm bracing myself here because of the way that I work is that when something is not working I have to unpick the whole canvas and then get rid of it and then restretch it again and that's happened three times in the last series I made it's time consuming and it's expensive, but it's I can't keep working and working over it. It just mm. it just doesn't work with how I work. So that is my process. So it it's it I, I'm like building I'm building up confidence to to work on the canvases and the big paper, but I'm also like learning and getting to know the subject matter so much to the point that like with each subject matter that I've that I look at, like say with offshore the sea, I could mix the colour of the sand or the water completely perfectly without looking at the photograph. And then I would mm. just look at it and it matched. Because I like it's almost like obsessing over it a bit. I get to know it so well, like I'm embodying it. So that when I'm making some of these marks, I know that I'm thinking about all my drawings and being there and remembering the water and everything. And I feel that that's conveyed. That's what I mean. Personally, I feel like it is conveyed in my work. So none of the marks are like, oh, I'll put that scribble there because it looks nice. Um, mm. It has come from somewhere. Um, and, and that's the process. So do you consider that particular series to be personal? they're all personal all yeah. my work's personal it can't be anything else but personal so what do you think of or is nostalgia important in your work for yourself and also for the viewer well nostalgia means like it's a wistful looking back like mm. you wish you were there mm. and I don't think that my work is particularly nostalgic I think what I'm doing is I'm interested in capturing the beauty of that present moment for me it's a feeling of like a moment of just being transported back there I don't I feel like nostalgia for me feels it, it has connotations with longing to be something where you're not now so for me my work doesn't feel nostalgic because that is it yeah it feels like a longing and like I, I'm not happy where I am I want to be back there it was better back there and that's not 
what I'm exploring. I'm very much exploring like the the sense of what that means in in the moment to be there. It's like I'm almost encouraging people yeah. to be present because I want them to be looking at my work and just notice something beautiful that's happening with the paint or where it dripped where I didn't intend it to or that for me is a beautiful thing it's like the immediacy like the the present moment yeah the reason I ask is because I've always considered like images of places particularly places of beauty like beaches and like sunsets and you know just you know places of natural beauty you know like interesting fields or whatever I feel like they always bring up memories in people because obviously they're not places we always go to. Like we go on holiday to places and then we always have memories of like this beautiful beach you you stayed on or or whatever. And I'm always kind of curious like how like how the landscape or images of the landscape, like what do they tell us about ourselves? That is a really, really interesting question. I think for me as the artist, it doesn't feel nostalgic because like I said, I'm not longing to be back there. And the process of the way that I work encourages me to be very present, to actually be focused on, very focused on what I'm doing in that present moment, which is kind of the opposite to nostalgia. I think what you said about nostalgia is really interesting because I've had an experience where I did a, actually it was, it was my, yeah, was my offshore collection. I was showing my offshore collection but I brought a few other works that I had and they were of a landscape, but they were a different, they were, they were based on a beach, but they, it was a different place. So the mm. colours, slightly different. And it was a particular demographic of people that kept coming and looking at this. They weren't interested in like the big pieces, like the, the main the main work that I had, the offshore collection, they were interested in these slightly smaller ones that were slightly different. It was a particular demographic of people. And I thought, what is it about these colours? What is it about these shapes or this that is reminding you of something? And it, it's happened before where, I mean, my my earlier work is much much more minimal than my work now and I made a body of work that was inspired by a beach in New Zealand um there was no reference to it being inspired by a beach other than there was a particular color turquoise and a woman that bought this painting not only was she from she'd lived in New Zealand for 20 years which I didn't know there were no, there were no titles on the work so she didn't okay. know what the work was about there were no titles that she could reference and when money was exchanging hands and I asked her where her accent was from she said oh, I lived in New Zealand for 20 years and I said well this this painting is inspired by this particular beach and she said that she used to holiday there every year in her childhood wow so um and this has happened more than once to me. And I think that it's not necessarily anything particularly special that I'm doing. But I think that a lot of us have that capacity to interpret things visually and like mm. link them to memories. And that's why I think abstract art is really powerful mm. because it is, it's less subjective 
it's le- it's much more open for you to interpret it how you like but I think that there are some I think there are some things that are universal truths I think which is that I think you can tell when a mark has been made, when it's fast or slow, when it's subtle, when it's angry, when it's intense, when it's considered. And I think that we understand that on a non-verbal level. So it makes us feel a certain thing. And I think colours generally make us feel certain things. But I think we can have very personal responses. Colours will mean different things to us depending on our experiences. So I think that... To answer your question, I think that, yes, I can see that my work can be make people nostalgic. Yes. But that's, that's kind of interesting, though, because it's not the intention. Like, that's very interesting. And it's interesting to say that you're working about being present, which is the opposite of nostalgia. I think that's also very, very interesting. I feel like at the minute, or maybe just the work I'm saying, I feel like nostalgia is very, it's very much a, a current trend, should we say. Like creating some things that are like nostalgic, things that are very like 80s inspired or very like 90s inspired, especially. Um, I don't know, just that I'm seeing a lot lately, which I, I love, I don't mind, but it's also like you're talking about like architecture, like just generally. I, I feel like I feel like life nowadays is always looking back, right? I feel like society nowadays is looking back a lot rather than looking forward. You know, it's not really about obviously very kind of a um, a typical way of looking at it. It's not about like you know, future robotics, it seems to be a lot about kind of like back in the day or like 90s and 80s kind of you know even stuff like 80s synthwave being you know popular in current music or 90s house being popular in current music stuff like that like there's Mm -hmm. always a trend of looking back currently but I always kind of feel like it's interesting how artists can use nostalgia or at least elements of things in people's childhoods that draw people in I think nostalgia is something I'm really interested in Mm -hmm. in terms of like how artists can broaden their demographics because the thing is that like you're creating work from your own life experiences. And somebody who might be 30 years younger than you may not understand certain key elements or certain places or certain ideas. And it's like, well, how do you make sure you, or do you want to, I guess, like attract a a wide demographic of people? I think that, I mean, I was having this discussion the other day with somebody and I think that's about how you share the story of what you do and is that important So I know that there are artists that I know that their work for me has more value and more interest because I I understand what they are trying to explore in their work and also their influences. I think something which I've thought about doing, it's always one of these things which, you know, I never really quite get around to doing, but I didn't know whether I wanted to write a blog post or I don't know, just, yeah, just, just write, just write about it on Instagram was, was what my favorite artist, who my favorite artists are. And Hmm. because, because of my background in art history, I am very influenced by quite a lot of other art that people might be really surprised about. And, you know, I talked about the St. Eyes artists and the artist Alfred Wallace. So I love uh, Ben Nicholson's work and Barbara Hepworth's work where they use very organic shapes. So very, so it was clear to me about 28 years ago that I was really interested in natural forms. I love the, the texture of natural things. That's what interests me. 
and but I but also I really like I like sort of the man-made structures and architecture so if you asked me to draw something I would probably naturally want to draw something with straight lines Hmm. and um I love you know constructivism uh there's a sort of an order with that which I really like so um there are a lot of influences of of artists uh, that I use in my work that may not be that obvious. And I've wondered yeah. whether or not if I shared more of that, would it help people to understand a little bit more what I'm doing? I think so. I think it's always interesting to see who influences you because then it's kind of like your... It's like the previous link in the chain because then it's like then you understand who who you're influencing to because I feel like we forget like there's always somebody who's looking at your work and there's always always somebody who's influenced by it it might not be outright but there's always someone who's going to be influenced by what you do and it's nice to kind of it's I like I personally think it's just really interesting to understand artists and understand like where they get their ideas from who they're interested in why they're interested in those particular artists because you know there are millions of artists in the world and there are certain people who you very much respect and revere and they're the artists you don't think twice about. And I'm always interested why people like you know, why people like that. So I would say absolutely. Me me too. I find it I find it really interesting, especially because then you can see you can then start to see the influences in someone's work. Mm. Yeah. Um yeah, it is yeah, it, I, I do find it really interesting. But knowing how to do that is quite tricky and depending on the context. So at fairs, it's quite difficult because you're there with a hundred other artists. And yeah. people don't usually have the energy or, you know, just capacity to take that all in. And it's not necessary as well. Some people just aren't interested in it. They just want to, yeah. they either like it or they don't. They don't, they don't want to know about it. So I think gauging how you talk about it is a bit of an art, which I'm still learning. I think also the people who are interested in your work will approach you. Yes, again, but it's it's about knowing how much do you share with them. Like they may not be interested at all that, you know, I'm interested in the St. Ives artists or, um, you know, Japanese calligraphy or constructivism. They just might not be interested in that at all. <laughs> like perhaps not, but then you'll you'll find out soon enough when you talk to them about it. You know, this is true. I I had this amazing experience where this this guy came over. And I think he's from the East End, and he said, "Oh, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about art." He was very, very self-deprecating, and then he said, "You know, but I do, I do like this." And he said, "It reminds me of this Japanese artist called Tokushinoda," and I said, "Well, she is one of my favourite artists, and she was probably the artist. She was the artist that." made me want to start making work with these gestural brushstrokes so she's like a Japanese abstract expressionist and he did buy a piece of work from me but he rolled up his sleeve and he had a tattoo of Toka Shinoda he had a tattoo of like her brushwork on his arm so it again it's like you can Suppose I didn't know about art. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and he and he did, and like his favorite artist was my favorite art. You know, one of my favorite artists, and mm. 
I think people often feel a bit embarrassed. They feel like they don't, they're not qualified or educated enough to have a, an opinion about abstract art. And I think everyone's opinion matters. Hmm. And I love the way that it, it brings us together. The simplest things of like a mark on the page can can connect you with somebody else. Absolutely. So I also want to talk a bit about your your light collection. Because I think this is actually really interesting. So you created it during the lockdown. Like how was this period of time for you and your work? Uh it was stressful. I didn't hmm. really make much work during that period of time. I was teaching online, so I had about 250 hmm. students. I was teaching online and I also had two children at home that I was supposedly trying to teach them as well. Um, it didn't go down very well. No. You know, just, yeah, it was dreadful. Um, and my creativity took a bit of a nosedive. That body of work was, I just, it was in the summer and I saw these shadows on my wall that I thought were beautiful. It was in the morning. They were really beautiful. And I remember feeling that although I'd painted shadows before, I just felt like I want to make work that rather than it being white with these black marks for the shadows, I wanted to make work that felt very dark but had light coming through. That's what the shadows mm. looked like to me. So it's like the reverse. And then at the same time, we were watching the news and we saw George Floyd being murdered. Mm. And it was a very intense time anyway, just, just due to COVID and being at home. And I remember that period of time, it really threw me emotionally. And I remember walking in the park and crying quite a lot and thinking I really was a little bit hopeless about where humanity was going and I think I was thinking a lot about um, I think because of that time because um of the Black Lives Matter movement and I was watching documentaries about black history and particularly in America and about um um about their judicial system and and about uh, slavery and it just it was just a bit dark I just felt like very um a bit overwhelmed with the enormity of the pain and suffering that we cause each other and how that affects us generations and generations and generations and I, it just felt really really enormous and massive and I remember breaking out in a rash for weeks and just yeah it was it was a it was a real thing and I think I'd started making these paintings and I think whilst I thought on the surface they were just about beautiful shadows on the wall the fact that I was very clear that I wanted them to be dark with this feeling of light coming through made me think about the situation that we were in hmm. with looking at the way that we treat people that the the light coming through was a bit like hope that was like mm. hanging on to this hope that whilst things felt quite dark that there was there was goodness there there was light coming through somewhere so yeah 
that was made at that time. It was really, really an intense time. But creatively, it wasn't a great time for me. <laughs> so do you consider like your collections to almost be like to like to mark or document the different chapters in your life? I've never thought of it that way. But again, I don't think that they can be anything but that. And I think that's hmm. true of every artist. It's not hmm. just it's just not always conscious. Like there's a reason why we choose to do or say anything. And hmm. so, yeah, it has to mark that time. Um, yes. So I think it's really interesting that you look at something like shadows and like morning light because very intangible. And I'm kind of like curious, like, do you think there are any kind of subject matters that you can't that you can't capture through art? No. Do you mean me personally or anyone else? Yeah. Well, both, I guess. But I, I mean, I guess as an umbrella term, both. Yes. No, because if I wanted to suddenly divert from what I was doing and want to make something which was really angry and intense, which is not what I want to do, I could do that. I just don't mm. want to do that. If I want to do something based on something, you know, dreams that you can't see, that no one else can see, that I don't talk about, I, I could do that if I wanted. I could just draw my child's water bottle here on the counter because I feel like it and I could make a piece of artwork representational or minimalist from that if I wanted to. So, no, I never think that anything's off limits um what about what about sound could you make a series of work based oh, on sound yes totally me personally yeah absolutely I mean the fact is is that I listen to music when I make work and the kind of music I listen to is important I love music so much because when I said that I'm a very I'm a highly sensitive person I am music changes me it changes my state of mind. So I'm aware of that. So occasionally I do listen to dance music or rock music when I'm making work, but not for long because I can see how it changes my energy okay. and the way that I work. So I will either make work in silence and I can hear the birds outside, or I will make work with music which is calming but feels nourishing and a bit joyous sometimes a little bit sad so yes and I have made music I have I have actually made a body of work called and then I danced and that was more conceptual that was about memory that was about concept and I did it whilst listening to music so I was moving with the music so that my marks would look like I was it was dancing. That was the whole point. So, yes, I have done that. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. See, I feel like this is why you're like, it sounds really probably silly to say, but it's like you're like a proper artist because like you're very, very aware of, if I gave you a random, a very literal random subject matter, you'd probably be able to figure out very quickly how you would create that into a series of work. I think that's actually really amazing. Like, that's so interesting because I could give you like a really random kind of vague term and you'd be like, oh, I could do this. Even just the idea of shadows for me, like particularly, it's like shadows are so fleeting, but the fact that you can capture them and you can make something that's very intangible into something very physical, like that's that fascinates me. Thanks. I mean, I don't know whether I did capture them, but I tried. 
that's the point. But that's, you know, I don't yeah. know how successful that work was, but I did try. And it's lovely that you said, you know, that you think I'm a proper artist because I actually don't usually feel like one. I'm not sure whether it is imposter syndrome, but I think it's important to say that I don't, I don't, yeah, I often really don't feel like it. Mm. Um, I suppose it is because, you know, I've still got this idea about what it is to be an artist mm. and I don't totally meet that criteria. But, um, but these things do fascinate me. And when we talk about like the meaning things have and how they sort of resonate with everybody, that series I talked about, the dance ones, I sold two of those paintings the largest ones to surgeons and and a third surgeon has come to me from them and really likes my work it's fascinating I love mm. it like I love having these discussions and I talked to one of them and we talked about why why they thought it was that surgeons particularly really liked this body of work possibly that there was pink in it so there's mm. like pink to me is reminds me of flesh to be honest I love pink but one of them said they felt like some of my mark making was very confident mm. and you have to have a confidence when you cut someone. Mm. It's like a mark that you make, you have to commit okay. to doing it. I just find that really interesting. interesting. It is three, three, three surgeons have all bought or wanted to buy this particular piece of work or particular body collection of work and it was the dancing one so again I think you know I love all that I find it fascinating what is that you know yeah that's so interesting but that's the interesting thing about yeah. your work is that because it allows the viewer to be able to interpret it in any way they want like it's about something which is good because there's an anchor to the work but it's also loose enough that they can interpret it in any way they want and that there's no wrong answers and the fact that you're also open enough to have a discussion with them about it is, is also extremely helpful because Sometimes a lot of artists can be quite closed about their work or they might not want to discuss it. And it's like, because you're very, you know, you're so easy to talk to and you're very willing to share. And like, I think that also helps because that means that like when they see your work, it's not just like, oh, I don't understand this. It's just, you know, a few lines. It's like, oh, actually, let's explore this. And then if you ask questions, they'll be answered. And that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, thanks. I think so too. So how do you know when it's time to stop or start a new series? How I know that my body of work is finished is I set myself parameters. So I like to make roughly 10 pieces of work per collection. I like there to be a big showstopper that's um, on canvas. I'll make about between four and six other canvases that are quite large. And then I'll make a series of work on paper and then sometimes I will include some of my preparatory sketches. I'll frame those up. And it sounds quite formulaic, but for me, it's working at the moment that it gives me these boundaries within which to work. So I like making a big piece because it exploring your work on a big scale is different. It's, mm. It is different than working on very very small so I like doing that but it's expensive and it takes up a lot of room so I have one maybe two really massive ones I like to work in a number of sizes because I realize then that there's different price points so it means that more people are likely to buy them if they're different sizes 
again, it's interesting because working at different sizes change, changes the work. And I like working on paper too, because the way that I work on paper is different to the way that I work on canvas. Slightly different techniques are needed. I quite like that. So those are kind of the parameters. It's roughly six, roughly 10 pieces per collection. If it's going really, really well, I might make some more. Um, and then I will then just finish it. If I felt like I needed to make more pieces, I just might return to that body of work at some point. But usually I'm excited about the next mm. collection. And the next collection will often be a bit different. So it might be that I'm working with a lot of colour at the moment. My next collection will possibly be much more subdued. I tend to work, I kind of alternate from quite monochromatic work to much more colourful work. How I know a an individual piece is finished is I usually work on several at the same time and I'm working with the same ideas, like we were saying, that the principles of Shibumi. So I've got my own things that I like to include in the work. So there's got to be an element of uncontrolled marks some kind of play or a bit of mess. There's got to be something which is considered a controlled. There has to be some marks that I draw on which have come from my drawings. I take these elements and then when I think that I've got those elements, I'll look at it and I'll think, okay, is that enough? I, I kind of look and think if, if it's balanced and I think, okay, I think I think that's enough. I think for me, it's a bit of an issue if I overwork something mm. I can't rectify it I can't just like paint over it and start again or cover over it doesn't it does it doesn't work like that for me so sometimes I do put work out there which I'm not totally happy with I think mm, that's a bit overworked for me or but I'd like to think that I would get to a place where I would only ever put work out there to sell that I think is I think is fabulous and I love it but the reality is is that I'm never totally satisfied with yeah. any piece of work yeah. and it's usually it's it's there are usually qualities that I really like in the work but there are always things which I think are not quite hitting the mark and I think if I were to hold something back until I felt like it was absolutely perfect I'd probably never put work out there and it's all a learning experience for me and so then I'll take what I've learned from one series and then apply the things that are working to the next series and then change or modify the things that aren't. Yeah, and that's a really good point in terms of like perfectionism. I know a lot of photographers, especially, who don't have websites, for instance, because they want it to be perfect. And it's like, just put something online because to have any kind of presence is going to be more beneficial than having not. You know, and like you're right. You, I think you're absolutely right. Like, if you're looking to create the, you know, the most perfect piece of work, and only present that, you'll never present anything because there's no such thing as perfection. Because as I said earlier, like once you reach that perfect piece, you're not going to want to do anything else. I think it is particularly important for me because I'm interested in minimalism yeah. in my life generally, and it's very much about not having excess, about only having what's necessary pairing things down and that is something I still struggle with sometimes I know that there are people that so I share a lot of this on Instagram and I know a lot of people feel that I live in a very pared back minimal home 
And to some people I do, but other people might look at how I live or even look at my work or yeah, my home and think, well, it's not that minimal. Hmm. But the point is it's it's about recognizing what's important to you. Yeah. So I have I would like to feel that I come to a place I'm trying to create less but to create better quality so I think I'm learning to be a little bit more discerning about just because I've made 15 pieces of work I don't actually have to frame and sell all of them even if there is a buyer out there for them Mm. I'm trying to be more discerning about what I choose to show and present and sell yeah uh, to to maybe make less each year that's what I'm trying to do but again it's it's learning I'm not quite there yet hmm. yeah that's interesting actually so let's talk yeah. a bit about color palettes like do you have a specific color palette you'd like to use no but if I said yes it would be a true and honest color palette so I observe something like a leaf or a stone and the colours that I use will come directly from that object. So I have to have observed it and studied it for a long time to choose my colour palette. That's so interesting. I'm trying to get even more nuanced about the colours that I use. Um, so having slightly more subtle colour variations within a colour palette, but it's still feeling very cohesive. But I that's what takes a long time Mm. but I love I love the observation of color and the trying to mix it that I absolutely love do you have a favorite color you like to use there are two colors that I I do love pink and I'm very excited because I haven't worked with pink for years and I'm this there's going to be a lot of pink in this new collection um so i haven't used pink for quite a while and i also do love turquoise i love the color of the sea hmm. um so i do love working with those colors but i i don't sort of seek out i, d- I definitely don't seek out a color palette and i've worked i've worked with color palettes which i know won't won't be particularly popular with people like hmm. black and white is very uh it's you know it really divides people and I my um I had a very very neutral palette when I looked at fossils so it was a lot of whites because it was limestone and I think it doesn't appeal to so many people but that's what I wanted to explore and I will still come back to that um I'm really I'm really interested actually I have to say, do you know what I'm really interested in is I really love grey. I really love the really, really subtle variations in muted colours that I absolutely love. So I'd probably pick grey. I think grey is such an um, underrated colour. Such an underrated colour. Like, I think yeah. I think grey is so fascinating. And I feel like probably because, <laughs> probably because we live in England, <laughs> it's the only colour we see all the time. But um, there's something really beautiful about, about you know, just like the kind of nuances of grey of like, you know, like stormy sky and just like the pavement and just like the atmosphere. There's something about it that I really like. Grey is probably one of my favourite colours. But it's just like, it just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's so, in, it's so uh, underrated. But um, yeah. I'm absolutely with you. 
on that one. Yes, grey is probably my favourite colour, actually. So how do you think living in London affects the work you create? I think that it makes me seek out uh, nature and stillness more. I wouldn't describe myself as an outdoor person. I love living in a city. I have a garden, but I, the older I get, the more I'm aware of how important, how necessary it is to have nature in my life. So I say I'm not an outdoors person, but I, I need my garden and I have an awful lot of plants at home and they bring me such a sense of joy and well-being and I use all of that in my work so I think being in London means I just I'm searching out I, I need pockets of quiet and stillness and nature and calm that's really important to me I mean I was in town yesterday and it was amazing I went to go and see a ballet and you think god you know London's amazing there's so much art and creativity and people on offer but I just come home and I'm exhausted <laughs> it's just too much so um I think I think that my art making is my desire to create a sort of a pure a pure connection with nature with beauty with whiteness with stillness okay that's nice that's interesting because London obviously is extremely busy always like you know 100 miles an hour it's you know it's beautiful and like because I don't live in London it's beautiful it's so interesting to go to it's so nice but it's also like your work is the quiet your work is the peace your work is like your alone time your work is like the space in which you can harbor for yourself and I think that's kind of like really interesting that your work is actually very like you pause in front of it you observe it you're, you're still because you live in such a busy place. I think that's kind of a really nice kind of um, juxtaposition, actually. Someone described it the other day, which was brilliant. It was somebody that I was showing at a fair with, and their work was um, very uh, pop art, Banksy-inspired, street art, very inspired by street art, and it was loud and in-your-face and colourful. And they described, my work was next to theirs, and they oh. described my work as being like a like a palate cleanser. Hmm. It's like a cucumber mousse, they said, because it just kind of cleanses your palate. Before, like He had swear words all over his work, and you come to mind, and it's like zen, and then you, you know, it is, yeah. it's true. And that, yeah. that, was, that was brilliant. I said, I might put that on my website, that my work is like a cucumber mousse. Is that even a thing? Like, wow. I know it sounds disgusting. So, what is the biggest challenge of being an artist? Being authentic. Hmm. Trying to be authentic in a world which is saying you should be doing something different. Oh, yeah. Like, that's good. That's a good answer. Because that's the question that when I go to the other art fair, I ask every single person I meet. Um, so, it's always interesting to get people's answers because they're always so varied. That's a really good one because it's like, how do you try and be authentic? Check it online where like people don't know you. Exactly. It's so hard because you are constantly feeling like, but I should be doing something else that I'm not good enough because mm. I, it's being seen in relation to someone else's work. Mm. My work is not individual enough or it's it's too simple 
simplistic or it's too this or not enough of that. And it, I'm just constantly swinging between that. Hmm. And then, of course, you know, you're, you're selling your work and then you get sucked into that whole machine, which is very different. And I think it's very easy to become inauthentic when you're trying to sell. So that is the difficulty, is, is the, the being authentic. So that I'm trying to maintain yeah. as much as I can. Yeah, because as I say to people, like, you're, a, you're not a factory, you're a person. I think, you know, they're very different things. They're very different outputs. You know, you can't replicate a machine as an artist, as a person. Like, it doesn't work. So, something to think about when people think about commercializing their work and, like, output and stuff. So, what has creating art taught you about yourself? Making art and what it's taught me about myself is that I'm really resilient. I am very resilient and that I need structure I need structure in order to be creative once I set myself limitations it allows me to be more creative and it is okay to do things my own way I spent a long I I spent a lot of my life feeling like I should be doing something different or I should be being different and that didn't really work for me and once I started to embrace how I was so specifically realizing that I needed this structure in the way that I worked that has given me so much confidence to just be myself and to to be the work uh, to make the work I'm doing and to really enjoy it um it's taught me that I find it very difficult to be still and quiet I think it helped that's been crucial to me understanding my ADHD Mm. and I even had ADHD is because how hard it was for me to focus. So again, a lot of my strategies that I use with with my coaching clients, because I coach other artists, is that I have a very structured approach. I have, you know, questions that I ask myself. I have systems that really, really help me. And that's okay. Not everybody needs them. It's not every, the way everybody works, but it, it really works for me. Um, yeah. That's so cool. That's really cool. Okay, so I have a question for you from the last person interviewed, which was the incredibly amazing Lee Putman, um, who I honestly is just one of these wonderful people that like, he gave me some really good advice and I'm like, I'm going to take this to heart and actually think about things. It's just lovely, wonderful human being, have so much respect for him. But his question for you is, what experience do you want the people who are viewing your work to have? That it takes them somewhere else just for a moment and experience something that might be beautiful. It's not for me to tell them that they must experience beauty in my work, but if they do, that would be really good. Yeah. Do you have a question for the next person I interview? Yes. Do you experience imposter syndrome? And if Mm. so, in which situation? I feel like every artist does. Yeah. But you're right, and in what situation? That's a good part as well. And if so... So... What's I'll type in this, I'll ask you the next question. So, so what was your younger self think about your work? That is such a good question. It depends what age you're asking me. I think as a- so. The- <laughs> Look, I tell you, I can say there is no age. I, do, I specifically don't state a certain age because I'm always curious to see what age the person chooses or like thinks about or like the immediate response to that. If I'm honest, and this is going to be quite a sad answer, yeah. but quite revealing, 
I think for most of my childhood years and maybe even as a young adult if I'd seen this work I probably would have gone what's that all about then because Mm. I was conditioned to think that art needed to be skillful representational I wasn't I wasn't encouraged to see a lot of modern art and it was through learning art, learning about modern art in my uh, degree that I had a much better appreciation for it and loved it. I was always taken to see a lot of work at the Royal Academy. Um, and it just never, you know, like... So it would be some Renaissance work or you know, 18th and 19th century paintings, you know, a bit of constable and stuff. It never, it just never evoked a feeling in me. I couldn't Mm. connect with it. And I always felt like there's something wrong with me. I'm supposed to like this. I'm supposed to appreciate this. And still even now, a lot of it doesn't. It just leaves me cold. So I couldn't ever appreciate modern art. I'm not sure I would have appreciated my work yeah that's cool it's a question i would have asked people because it's such a, a reflective question i think a lot of the questions i like to ask people as i keep saying like the whole point is that i like to understand people i like to understand like why not the how is you know i think that's for another podcast the other podcasts do that much better but for me it's like the why that the why you do what you do and asking like you know what do your youngest i think about your work it makes you think about like who you've been and how you've been and how you are now and kind of like just like how your your own mind yeah. has changed and your tastes have changed. That's I like to try to get to like the the kind of I guess psychological part of like yourself. I don't know. I love asking questions that I like. That's a brilliant question because I think that my very young self would probably go, "Oh, that's cool. I want to get a massive mm. bit of canvas. I want to throw some paint on it and do a massive scribble." And I think that's actually what I'm trying to do in my work. In fact, I know that's something I'm I'm trying to do in my work. So there is an element where I pour paint or I make get a massive brush or I make marks very quickly where I don't quite know what's going to happen. And that feels a bit scary, but a bit fun. And that's what I'm trying to do. There needs to be an element in my work that looks playful and it's not considered. And that's very hard for me to do. So that is what that's what my arts taught me as well, is that I find it hard. I find it hard to play and to be spontaneous. And I, and I, and I know that, but it's very evident in my work. So actually, the bits that take me a long time, that are very careful and skillful, aren't as difficult for me. It's the, the, the mark that takes me two seconds. It's the, the, the rushed, quick, messy bit. And that's the bit I usually like the best of my work. Oh, wow. That's interesting. The drip. That's very interesting. Mean to make the way that the colours blended that I didn't, I couldn't control. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I think that says a lot about you as a person and kind of the way in which you are kind of wired. I think that's really interesting, actually. That's really interesting. So the last question, which I'd be very happy to know, as everybody is in these interviews, because they're very long, um, is what are you currently working on and where can people find more about you and your work? I'm currently working on a new series 
which will be called Le Bois Plage, which is okay. the name of the beach, and it will be uh, it focuses on land uh, sunsets, the sunset of this particular beach. I will be showing that all being well at the other art fair at Truman Brewery, which is Brick Lane, between the 12th and the 15th of October. I currently have my latest series of work with Art Snug, and they are in Walthamstow, and that is a landscape. Those are landscapes based on an area in Wales, and you can find out more about me on Instagram and Facebook, which is Anna F. MacDonald Art. Anna, thank you honestly so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Like, it's an absolute pleasure to meet you and it's an absolute pleasure for you to have given me so much of your time and being so honest. I really do appreciate it so much. That concludes my conversation with artist Anna MacDonald. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com or get in touch via social media sites such as Twitter and Instagram. The Flying Fruit Bowl podcast can be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube or Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing or subscribing on any of these platforms to help spread the word. Also, please don't forget to check out theflyingfruitbowl.co.uk for daily art inspiration and if you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. If you'd like to support the platform further, we now also have a Patreon for monthly donations. Tears start from £1, and more information can be found over at patreon.com forward slash the flying fruit bowl. Additionally, if monthly donations are not your thing, we also have a PayPal for one-time donations. I'll include a link to our PayPal in the show notes. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode today. And until next time, folks, please stay safe. <laughs>